Some people lead a double life, presenting themselves as one type of person, maybe a family man, for example, while also becoming another type of person when no one they know is looking. It always fascinated me how people can lead double lives. People can be two things at once, especially two very different things. Serial killers often lead double lives and are quite good at masking the evil within. Hi, listener. I'm Michelle O'Dell. Welcome to Corn-Fed Killer. The case I have for you today is that of Herbert Baumeister, also known as the I-70 Killer. We are once again in Indiana for this one. Herbert Baumeister was born in Indiana on April 7, 1947. Two parents, Herbert, who was an anesthesiologist, and Elizabeth, a homemaker. Herbert was the oldest of four children. His parents were respected members of the community, and his childhood was pretty normal. By that, I mean there was no abuse or neglect or any other type of abuse or anything like that ever reported. At school, Herbert was something of a loner, and for the most part, his peers avoided interacting with him. He was the quote-unquote weird kid. One of his classmates remarked that he remembers Herbert talking about how he wondered what human urine tasted like. It was reported that Herbert also exhibited a fascination with dead animals. One of his classmates recalled a time when Herbert found a dead crow in the road, picked it up, brought it to school, and put it on his teacher's desk when she wasn't looking. I gotta admit, that's pretty weird. Herb was displaying some odd behavior at home as well. His parents became concerned, so much so that Herbert's father secretly took him to have psychological testing done. He was about 16 at this time. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and possibly multiple personality disorder. These are quite serious diagnoses. However, at the time, the treatment for such ailments was not desirable, to say the least. And there is no evidence that Herbert received any treatment at that time. Or any other time. (laughs) Um as far as a continuing ongoing treatment. So I'll leave that with you and you can think about what it, what impact it may have had on his life. Okay. So Herb graduated high school in 1965 and was admitted to Indiana University. At IU, Herb met a woman named Juliana or Julie Juliana and Herbert were both members of the Young Republicans group on campus. They were both Christians and quite conservative and were drawn to each other because of their shared values. Herb dropped out of college after freshman year. In November of 1971, Julie and Herbert got married. Herbert is 24 at this time. Six months into their marriage, Herb's father took him to a psychiatric hospital, where he spent over a month. Juliana supported this decision and later said of this time that Herb was, quote, hurting and needed help. In 1974, 
Herb took a job at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, where he displayed odd behavior. Co-workers recalled that he had th- bouts of rage that seemed to be unprovoked. So he would just kind of fly off the handle for really no apparent reason. His co-workers became kind of used to his odd behavior and mostly just wrote it off as, oh, that's just Herb. You know, the weird guy, that's just him. Co-workers recalled that he once sent out Christmas cards with a photo of himself and another man dressed in drag. And at the time, that was a really odd thing to do, and it made a lot of his co-workers uncomfortable. Still, Herb manages to work his way to program director at the BMV. That is, until 1985, when he was fired after he had urinated on the boss's desk And on a letter addressed to the governor. So yeah, that's weird. He seems to have some kind of fascination with urine, which admittedly is odd. During these years, while Herb was working at the BMV, Julie gave birth to their three children, Marnie in 1979, Eric in 1981, and Emily in 1985. By all accounts, Herb was a good father. Julie recalls that he was involved in all aspects of the children's lives, sports and all of their plays and all that stuff he attended. He was very involved with them, played with them, and he was a loving father. It is now 1985. He's been fired from the BMV, like I said. And at this time, the first body is found somewhere near or somewhere along Route I-70, in Indiana. It is the body of 17-year-old Eric Rodiger. At this point, Herb is nowhere on the police's radar as a suspect. He does have a few brushes with the law, however. In 1985, he committed a hit and run while drunk driving on the I-70. Then the following year, in 1986, Herb is charged with auto theft and conspiracy to commit auto theft. But after only a one-day trial, he is acquitted. His father also dies this year, the same year. Herb begins working at a thrift store, and he decides that he wants to open one of his own. So he borrows a hefty amount of money, I think it was $350,000 or thereabouts, from his mother, and he opens a thrift store, which he calls Save-A-Lot. No, it's not the same Save-A-Lot that is a what I consider a janky Aldi's. (laughs) No, it's not that grocery chain, save a lot. Um, This was a store where people could buy thrifted clothes and home goods, furniture, this kind of stuff. It is now 1989, and the body of a 26-year-old man called Stephen Elliott is found. No one suspects Herb at this time. Julie and Herb run the store together, though everyone said that Herb was clearly the one in charge. That first year, the store does very well. So they open a second Save-A-Lot in the year of 1990. This is also the year that the body of 32-year-old Clay Boatman is discovered along the I-70. The success of their Save-A-Lot stores allows the couple to purchase Fox Hollow Farm which boasted a large house with an indoor pool and lots of land for the kids to roam 
a safe place for them to ride bikes, to rollerblade, and so forth. Julie described it as a, quote, utopia. It was a dream home for the couple and their children. During the next couple years, between 1990 and 1994 exactly, several young men go missing. 22-year-old Michael Riley, 20-year-old Johnny L. Bayer, 31-year-old Jeffrey Jones, 20-year-old Richard Hamilton, 24-year-old Alan Livingstone, 26-year-old Stephen Hale, 28-year-old Alan Brossard, and 34-year-old Roger Allen Goodlett. Herb and Juliana open a third store during this time. And again, no one suspects Herb at this time. Herb at this time. He has no connection to the bodies as far as anyone knows. In 1994, Herbert is arrested for drunk driving and he spends three days in jail and is placed on probation for one year. The business starts to struggle and employees of Herb's at Save-A-Lot later recall that he was moody and often smelled of alcohol and that he would disappear for hours at a time and no one knew what he was up to. The financial strain and Herb's mood changes and disappearing acts caused strain on the couple's marriage. Also during this time, unbeknownst to Julie, Herbert is active in the gay nightlife scene. And wouldn't you know it, several gay men disappear during this time. The police begin scouring the bars, looking for leads, questioning bartenders and regulars, trying to figure out what has happened to these men. Now this is all in Indianapolis. At uh, this point, Herb and the family are living in follow Follow, sorry, <laughs> Fox Hollow Farm, which is in the Westfield area, which is outside of Indianapolis. So, you know, it's in the country, like like she said, a ut- utopia, an idyllic kind of place. Before this, they had been living much closer to Indy. Um, but it is this Indianapolis gay nightlife that's going on that in which several men disappear. So the police start, like I said, scouring the bars, looking for any kind of leads. A regular tells them a story of a man that he said was named Brian Smart, who hit, who he hit it off with in one of the gay clubs, and he said that Brian invited him to his house to swim in his indoor pool and to hang out. The man described Brian's place as a sprawling house in the woods with an indoor pool. He said that Brian wanted them to try autoerotic asphyxiation, which, in case you didn't know, is a sexual practice that involves choking or suffocation to the point of near death. It is believed that this increases the intensity of the climax. So this man agrees to it, and he says that, he tells police that he choked Brian as he requested, and then he allowed Brian to do the same to him. But while Brian was strangling him, the man said that it was too intense, and he knew He just knew that Brian wasn't going to stop. He knew Brian was going to kill him. So he got away. He fought him off and he got away, but was very shaken by the event. Meanwhile, at home, Julian Herb's son, Eric, finds a human skeleton on the property. On their property at Fox Hollow Farm, Eric, who's at this time 13, is outside messing around, and he finds a human skeleton. Herb has an explanation for this, though. He says he's sure that it's a cadaver left over from his father's medical practice. 
but he cannot explain how the cadaver got there. Because if you think about it, it's very odd. His father didn't live on the farm, so and his practice wasn't on the farm, so why would it be there? But at this point, the family accepts his explanation, and they don't really think about it for now. Then in 1995, the same man who told the police about that grueling that grueling account of this guy, Brian Smart, and the experience he had, he sees him again at a gay bar. He manages, manages to get Brian's license plate number and turns it over to the police. The police find out that the car is registered to one Herbert Baumeister, not Brian Smart. That was a made-up name. So the police pay Herb a visit. He denies ever being in a gay bar and will not consent to the search of his property. Without enough evidence for a search warrant, the police decide that they will take a different tact and ask Julie. So they find her at one of their stores and they tell her of Herbert's participation in the gay nightlife and how they came to find his car and so so forth, and they tell him that he is now a suspect in the disappearances and possible murders of several gay men. Julie is stunned and horrified. She is angry, too, because she thinks they've got it all wrong. There's no way it could be Herb. She knows him. They've been married a long time by this point. They have children. There's no way. She does not believe it. And when they ask her if she will give permission for them to search the property. She says no. The police pay her a second visit a little while later, and she again refuses to consent to a search. Over the next five months, police continue to search for clues as to what happened to these missing men. At this time, Julie starts second-guessing herself. She remembers that skeleton found on the property and wonders if she's wrong about Herb, Herb, if she's wrong about her husband, if she, the police are right and she is wrong. And their marriage is also falling apart at this point due to the financial strain of the businesses because they're doing very poorly at this point. And Herb is acting odd and he's gone for long periods of time. So she files for divorce. And she tells her lawyer about the bones that were found on the property and about Herbert's moods and all that stuff. And she also tells the lawyer that Herb and Juliana only consummated their marriage six times. Now, think about that. They were married at this point 25 years. And they only had relations six times. It's very odd. It's very, very odd. Even for a, you know, real conservative couple, it's an odd thing. So, on June 24th, 1996, with all of these thoughts in the back of her mind, Julie finally consents to a search of the property. At this time, Herb is on vacation. He is at a vacation home that was owned by his family, by his mother and father. Um, well, while this search is going on, he's at this place. And Julie says, yeah, you can, you can search. The police find hundreds, hundreds 
of bones on the property. They are eventually able to determine that the bones belong to 11 different young men. Eight of the 11 are identified. You'll remember most of these names. The victims are Richard Hamilton, Johnny Bayer, Jeffrey Jones, Alan Brossard, Roger Allen Goodlett, Manuel Resendez, and Michael Frederick Kern. The police are certain that Herbert is responsible for the deaths of these 11 men. They also believe that he is responsible for the deaths of some 12 men whose bodies were found strangled to death and left along I-70 in Indiana and into Ohio. Having learned of the search and the fact of his pending arrest, Herb takes off. He disappears. He does not tell his wife or anyone where he's going, and he's pretty much missing for about eight days, and nobody hears from him. And Juliana recalls this time being very hard on her and the children because they just don't know where he is. And that's, you know, a a horrible feeling. Then, on July 3rd of 1996, so eight days after the search, basically, um, some hikers in Ontario, Canada, find a dead body inside an abandoned vehicle in Pinery Provincial Park. So Herb had driven himself to Canada and killed himself. With the body, they find a .357 Magnum and a suicide note. In the suicide note, Herb apologizes for being a shitty husband, basically, uh, and for being a failure in business. He does not say anything about the bodies found on his property or anything about his nightlife or his affinity for gay bars. However, authorities are certain that Herb is responsible for the deaths of the men whose bodies were found at Fox Hollow Farm and for those along I-70. It is believed that Herbert picked up men from gay bars, had sex with them, and then strangled them to death. Some of the bodies dumped along the I-70 and the others he buried, some of the bodies he dumped along I-70 and the others he buried on the farm. It is noted that after Herb moved his family from Indy to Fox Hollow Farm, the bodies of young men stopped being found along the I-70. Police do not believe that this is a coincidence. So what it seems like is that he's been doing this for years and years. Some of those bodies that were found along the I-70 date back to the early 80s. This would have been the time when they... The couple was living closer to Indy, Indianapolis. So these bodies were found along the route of I-70 in shallow streams, just on the side of the road, in a ditch. And then very interesting <laughs> that after they moved to Fox Hollow Farm, no more bodies are found along the I-70. So it very much seems like once he had the farm, he realized that he didn't have to dump the bodies. He had more than enough land to bury the bodies, to hide the bodies. 
And so it is believed that that's what he did. Nonetheless, though, these deaths are technically unsolved because Herb killed himself before he could face prosecution for the deaths of these young men. After the suicide, Juliana sells Fox Hollow Farm and moves her family back to Indianapolis. She says that the suicide and the assertion of the police and the media that Herbert was a cold-blooded serial killer, the I-70 strangler, strangler, was very difficult for her children to understand. The children had a vision of their father as a loving, kind man who went to their games, who played ball with them in the yard, who was present for them. And it's very hard for them to reconcile that man with a man who brutally murdered probably 23 men, but at least 11 for sure. I can only imagine how it must have devastated them to learn that their father was really a monster. I'm Michelle O'Dell. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was pretty interesting that, you know, the case, although seems to be solved to us, you know, as, li as listeners, as true crime aficionados, it makes sense. And, you know, no more bodies, or sorry, no more young men went missing from these gay bars after Herb's suicide and... Interesting how they stopped being found along I-70 after he moved to the farm. So um, I'd, lo I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, you can send me an email at cornfedkillerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find pictures and other information on our Instagram at cornfedkillerpodcast. I hope you have a good one, and I will be back with you soon with another episode.